Welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. My name is Connor O'Gara. I'm joined by a special guest today. I'm excited to have SEC Network analyst and former Georgia All-American, Matt Stinchcomb. Matt, how are you doing ahead of this championship weekend? Man, I'm as excited as I've been uh, about this college uh, the college football playoff and certainly the SEC championship in a long time. Obviously, uh, some pretty serious implications on the line for what is already a pretty storied rivalry between these two teams. Well, before we talk SEC championship, and believe me, we'll do plenty of that, uh, Matt is here on behalf of the All-State, All-Hands-In program ahead of the SEC championship this weekend. Matt joined forces with the All Hands In event in Atlanta, where he volunteered to help build a community garden at the local Boys and Girls Club, local All-State agents and fans, as well as SEC Network's Tim Tebow and legendary Auburn quarterback Jason Jason Campbell uh, were all pitching in. Uh, Matt, why don't you tell our listeners about the fine work that you're doing with All Hands In with the All Hands In program this week? Yeah, this is kind of a continuation of what All-State has been traditionally doing year in and year out around the SEC championship, except they've kind of expanded the footprint this year, and they've done it across the country around a number of different rivalry games. And uh, the whole idea is to uh, take advantage of opportunities not only to draw attention to uh, community activities and community needs, but also how you can get involved uh, and the ways that you can get involved. And so this year, it just uh, happened to be where we're bringing this project kind of full circle, where at the beginning of the season on September 1st, Allstate came in and uh, through this project planted this garden, helped establish this community garden um, here in the south side of Atlanta. And now we're going to be harvesting um, what that garden has been able to produce and actually give it an opportunity to produce throughout the winter. And the whole idea is to kind of expand, I think, uh, the impact of what this game can have. It's not just for fans. It's not just for the teams involved or their fan bases. Uh, but this is an opportunity to actually impact the community in a really positive way and to leverage the platform uh, that college athletics, and in this instance, college football, affords you. So uh, it's a fun, it's a really fun initiative to be a part of and uh, to be able to bring two fan bases that will be on opposing sidelines come Saturday together to help uh, impact the community in a positive way is a really fun project to be a part of. And fans are encouraged to follow All Hands In, that hashtag, on Twitter uh, for more information on how to get involved with the All-State All Hands In program. So, Matt, let's talk SEC Championship. Your Georgia Bulldogs enter Saturday's contest trying to do the obvious. That is, you know, flip a 23-point loss to Auburn a few short weeks ago. Kirby Smart doesn't want to play up the revenge factor, but you know what those locker rooms are like. Is there a a revenge factor in this game? Yeah, yeah. It's not a primary factor, but they're certainly going to factor into the mindset of the, of the team. And especially when you come into any of these games where you played uh, a team two different times in the, over the course of the season, it's not easy to beat that same team twice. And so we've seen this a couple different times. In fact, you know, Jason Campbell being here uh, today, it's kind of unique because uh, because of scheduling. Obviously, George is the permanent interconference rival for Auburn, but they played Tennessee in 2004 during the regular season, then saw them again um, in the SEC championship game. And, you know, it's, it's one of those opportunities where um, you get to play twice, and uh, it kind of adds, I think, to the familiarity that a team has, especially the, the, the team that lost. And in this instance, Georgia remains an underdog. All the pressure is on the team that won the first go-around and the team that's favored in this one. So I think ultimately 
you know, from a from a mindset standpoint, it does afford you a couple opportunities to push a couple of those motivational buttons. Um, not that a ton of that's necessary. I mean, you're talking about a conference championship. You're talking about an opportunity in the first uh, time since either one of these teams have played in this game in quite some time, 2013 for Auburn and 2012, the most recent for Georgia. But there's college football playoff implications on the line as well. So there's yet another championship to be pursued even after the one that they'll play for on Saturday. I know that you definitely took note as a former offensive lineman of how lopsided the battle in the trenches was in that first meeting. It's bad when guys like myself can see it. From your standpoint, why was that such a one-sided affair? I would say that it appeared far more one-sided than it actually was, and that's not to detract at all from the dominance that Auburn displayed. But, you know, I think that narrative expanded to as if it was across the board, man for man, that Auburn was overmatching um, Georgia's offensive front or defensive front. I would argue that wasn't the case after watching it pretty closely. But there were some a couple of key areas and incidentally in key moments where it did seem to figure up more prominently uh, and I'll be interested to see if George has been able to address that. Part of it uh, was the dominant performance that Auburn's right guard, uh, Braden Smith, who should be uh, a first-team All-American in my eyes, he absolutely took over that entire side of the offensive front on Auburn's behalf and dominated George's defensive tackles throughout that football game. And um, you know, you look at the opposite, kind of in a mirror image, Georgia struggled at that right guard position throughout. Their true freshman right tackle actually played relatively well. Um, they gave up sacks, and it's easy to look at box scores, but when you watch the game itself, you're going, no, Georgia didn't dominate. There's no, no, there's no argument in that. But the dominance was somewhat specific um, in some key areas, and ended up figuring very prominently in the outcome of the game. But it wasn't an outright dominance one, one direction or the other. That's that's a fair point to make, and as somebody who has sat there and broke had had the chance to break down that film, obviously you're going to have a better eye at that. This the case is still the same, I think, with Georgia. Though I mean, you got to be able to win that battle at the line of scrimmage. You need to get the ground game going in order to have a chance. Have those two games against Kentucky and then against Georgia Tech made you believe that you know that that ground game is back on track, and that was just one bad afternoon? I think it's going to be really tough sledding versus anybody that faces this Auburn front. That's one of the better-looking defensive lines that I've seen um, certainly this season and maybe in quite some time. So you're talking about a guy in Marlon Davidson, Derek Brown, uh, Dontavious Russell, that uh, they literally will move the line of scrimmage backwards. And that's a very difficult proposition to get a ground game going. That said, um, part of Georgia's issues are not only trying to match the uh, physical nature in which the uh, defensive front for Auburn likes to play with and is capable of playing with, but the mental errors. There was a number of free hats, unblocked linebackers in the box, uh, forced defenders coming down from the secondary that should have or could have been accounted for with the number of blockers available that weren't. Um, and Georgia can't afford to forfeit any opportunities that they might have Look, it's going to be hard enough to block these guys when when you know what you're doing and you have time to think about it. But you can't afford to just give up opportunities to pick up positive yards because you're not even trying to block the right guy. It doesn't matter how well you block the wrong defender, you're still wrong. And so in this game, they need to, at the very least, Georgia needs to make sure that they are assignment sound uh, versus a defensive front that's not going to afford you a, a whole lot of latitude when it comes to mental errors. On the other side of the ball, where where Auburn is going to try and really get things going, of course, is 
really dependent on if Carrion Johnson is going to be healthy in this one. We still don't know his status officially, and he has been absolutely tremendous down the stretch for that team. And not to take anything away from his ability, but Auburn's ability to dominate at the line of scrimmage. Are we making too big of a deal of Carrion Johnson's health with that in mind? Is this something where it, Auburn's going to be able to run the ball effectively no matter who's back there if they control the line of scrimmage like they've been doing? Uh, I think that we are not overestimating or overstating the impact that Carrion Johnson's uh, health or availability will have on this football game from a running game standpoint. I think that um, over the course of the season, it's been relatively well documented that he is the engine for that rushing attack. Now, there's other guys that are very talented, uh, and obviously Auburn has a couple of really good players along their offensive front. That said, um, Carrion Johnson is a guy that can bring his own block. He's got those long arms. He's got one of the best stiff arms that I've seen in college football in a long time. Um, and if he's not available, I do think that it distinctly changes Auburn's offensive prospects. Uh, that said, you also have a pretty nice fail safe in the way Jarrett Stidham is playing right now. In fact, the back end of the season, I think Jarrett Stidham looks exactly like what a lot of people anticipated coming into the year as being a potential dark horse Heisman candidate. And right now, with his accuracy and with the evolution of their passing game and some of the deep threats that they're able to to get loose in that vertical passing attack off a play-action pass, that's a dangerous proposition. The question will be is how will the defenses respond if, in fact, Auburn is incapable of being explosive in the ground game if Carrion Johnson is limited? And I think that is the overriding theme in this ball game more than anything else. Obviously, the lines of scrimmage are going to be big. This is a line of scrimmage league. It's a line of scrimmage game. But when you come down to it, the biggest personnel issue or question mark coming in this game is whether or not number 21 for Auburn is going to be full speed or even available to be uh, as impactful as he's been over the course of the season. When I talked to you earlier in the season, we discussed the learning curve for Jake Fromm and his command of this offense. Is this a game where we should see Jim Chaney get a lot more creative than maybe he's been all year? You know, watching this game back, it's funny. You, know, you got Auburn playing at home, and they know how good they are, and I think Auburn or Georgia recognized how good they were. But you've got Auburn, they ran a, a flea flicker, they ran a tackle-eligible play, and they ran a reverse pass. So this is a team that um, it wasn't as if they said, we're going to roll our helmets out here and just dominate this team. Well, Georgia did effectively the same things. Georgia ran a flea flicker. Georgia ran a deep post on early downs. I mean, it wasn't as if they came in there and were overly buttoned up. But when you're proven to have difficulty finding receivers and getting the ball out of your hands, and you're not capable of protecting on some of the line stunts that Auburn was bringing, and they had repeated success with pretty similar concepts over and over again, then as a play caller, eventually you got to take your medicine because you can't go at halftime and just change the way that your team has prepared or what they're capable of doing over the course of the next two quarters. You basically have to play the hand that you've been dealt relative to the way your team is performing. And if you can't protect your passer, then it's not a great idea to start running a bunch of five- and seven-step drops. So, you know, I think early on Georgia had opportunities. It was clear and it was evidenced they had a, a bad uh, – uh, a ball off the tip of the fingertips of Riley Ridley. If he just runs through the route, doesn't wave his arms for attention, uh, he maybe bangs his head on the goalpost. Same on the flea flicker pass. But they didn't take advantage of either of them, and the rest, of course, is history. You can't do that versus a team that is arguably the best in the country right now in Auburn, especially on the road. But I don't think that we'll see a distinct departure from 
uh, the play calling philosophy from Georgia. And in fact, you know, Jake Fromm played relatively well in that football game. They've got playmakers at receiver, uh, but they're not going to come out in the single wing and, uh, and, and revolutionize their offense. And I don't think uh, from a play calling standpoint, when the school board allowed it, that Georgia was overly conservative. When things got away from them, you know, you, sometimes you don't want to dig a deeper hole. And I think that's a fair thing to say. You're, you're right, and that Jim Chaney wasn't exactly predictable. I mean, this wasn't LSU against Alabama with with less miles, just trying to run the ball with eight and nine-man boxes and doing anything like that. So to clear that up, I mean, I, I do think that he was able to get creative, and he's going to be tasked with doing similar things. But maybe the biggest responsibility for this offense is figuring out ways to neutralize those Auburn pass rushers. Alabama wasn't able to do it, and we saw what happened in that one. How in the world does Georgia do that job effectively? Yeah, you got to win on early downs if you can, obviously, and that's run and pass. And sometimes you'll see teams, and Alabama did incredibly well with A.J. McCarron uh, in the national title game. They came out and just started throwing the football on first down repeatedly. That was their that was their M.O. So you throw it when you want to, not when you have to. I don't know that that's necessarily the same approach that Georgia should take here. But the best way to neutralize a pass rush is to not have to do it. You know, The better you can run the football, if you can run screen game, if you can somehow slow down uh, the front four and force a team to borrow from other levels of their defense to try to pressure your passer, obviously that's the A plan. I don't know that Auburn's going to have to do that, even if they do as long as they are in their secondary, as talented as they are, it gives them the opportunity to play a lot of man coverage. And they're very physical uh, in their defensive backfield. So because of that, uh, if you do have to bring a couple extra defenders to get to a quarterback, they have that opportunity. Jake Fromm's got to perform better under duress in this game. He didn't complete a single uh, single pass versus pressure uh, Mm -hmm. last game versus Auburn and had a fumble. That's something that he's going to have to improve upon. Sometimes – you just got to get the ball out of your hands. Sometimes you have to hit a check down and make a defense respect your back out of the backfield. And Georgia had opportunities to do that in that game, and they were incapable of taking advantage of that. Um, if you're not doing that, then you're basically begging a defensive front to come after your passer repeatedly. And I think we saw that scenario play out, especially in the second half in their first uh, matchup. Now that we're in the postseason, we can sort of start talking about Georgia's 2017 season and how it's going to be remembered. And a lot of that, of course, is yet to be determined, and it will be dependent on what happens on Saturday and and after that. But I I think that Bulldog fans are probably – they can't really stomach the idea of having a team this good fail to win a conference title and maybe make it to the playoff, especially after that 9-0 start where you're number one in the country even with a loss on Saturday, do you feel like people need to start getting away from this this narrative that Georgia can't win the big one? Uh, I don't know. I mean, they can't get away with it, or they can they can stick with it. I don't know that the best way to shut a narrative like that up is to win the big one. Um, but I will say that in this conference, it's as challenging as any in the country. And ask our friends over in Tuscaloosa just how hard it is. Um, to enjoy championship-level success uh, in this conference. They've done it better than anybody, and even this year, and I think they're among the top four teams in the country, uh, and they're not going to get to contend for a conference title because they happen to play one of the other best teams in the country in Auburn. So um, uh, the idea that uh, it's championships are bust, absolutely, you should aim for that. But when you fall short of it, you need to recognize, I think, uh, the challenge that repeatedly and annually lay before you when you play in the SEC. Georgia's ahead of schedule. Now, 
Historically, you wouldn't say that because Auburn won an SEC title and a national title in their second year under Gene Chizik. Urban Meyer did it at Florida. Les Miles was able to contend for one in his very first year. Nick Saban contended for one in his uh, second year. Things can happen quickly in this conference. And right now, uh, you know, you lose your starting quarterback in the first game of the season. You play a true freshman uh, at quarterback who wasn't your first choice to take the field when you opened the year. Um, I would say that Georgia has certainly outperformed the expectations that were set a season ago, and I think that they're on an excellent track and certainly the right trajectory to be a a considerable force to contend for championships going forward. I'm going to ask you something uh, a little bit probably that you haven't had to answer before, um, but let's just picture this scenario that you're an Alabama fan and you're sitting at home on your couch on Saturday afternoon. You're still extremely depressed about the Iron Bowl. You don't want to talk about it. And you're thinking about the fact that you're not playing for a conference championship. You know that at number five, your team needs some help to make the playoff. Are you even watching the SEC championship game? Does that make any sort of impact on Alabama's playoff chances? Or are you looking elsewhere to try and determine what your team's fate is going to be? Well, I think it does. You know, I think if Georgia wins the SEC championship, then Alabama's uh, hopes to be in the top four greatly diminish because you have lost to a three-loss team at that point. Now, regardless... People, I think, will look at an Auburn team, very good football team, beat two number ones, or well, in that instance, they would have beaten uh, one uh, or two number ones in Alabama and Georgia, but one being vanquished in the championship game. Uh, I think that, that would hurt them quite a bit. They want Auburn to win. They need Auburn to win, uh, in my opinion, to keep them at two losses. And then obviously TCU over Oklahoma doesn't hurt. And in, in, in my estimation, although there's plenty of arguments against it somehow, um, Ohio State over Wisconsin to knock out a uh, undefeated in that Big Ten uh, championship game. But absolutely, if I'm Alabama, uh, I would be paying very close attention to the outcome of the SEC championship game because they want Auburn to remain one of the best teams in the country because then you will have lost uh, to one of the better teams in the country versus one that finishes the year with three L's. Okay, so let's we'll, we'll take off the Alabama hat. I know that was probably uncomfortable for you to put that on. We'll put on the unbiased SEC Network analyst hat, if they give you those. I'm not sure about that. But let's say a neutral game is played, a, a neutral site game is played tomorrow. These three teams are matching up. Are, are you picking Alabama to, to beat both of these teams? Is that where we're at? I mean, is this just Alabama had one bad week and is still the better team? Who would you maybe pick to, to be the best team of these three if all of those other factors are taken out of it? Everybody's healthy? Everybody's healthy. Hmm. That's a challenge. I think it'd be Auburn. I think a healthy carry on Johnson and the way Auburn had been playing, neutral site. Problem is, is that we can't take that entirely out of context. You know, part of the reason why I think I like George in this championship game is not only is it because it's hard to beat the same team twice, it's hard to beat the same good team twice. Some teams you'd love to play three and four times if you, if you were able to. Um, but the other piece of it is that uh, Auburn has played some of their best football two out of the last three weeks. Now they're going to be asked to play three out of the last four weeks. That's incredibly hard to do. So in the context, the way it sits right now, and I said this before the season, I felt like Auburn um, was one of the better teams in the country and could win the conference championship. Uh, they lost to Clemson on the road without on Johnson, which I think is material. Of course, you lost to a really good team. You know, coming into the year, I still it's hard for me to wrap my head around how Auburn found a way to drop two games. Part of that's a function of not having their best offensive player available in one of them. So, um, you know, to me, it's in a neutral site, completely out of context, one-game season. 
I would take the Auburn Tigers. It's interesting, and I would I would pay a lot of money to see that. I think a lot of fans in the Southeast would. We can we can move on from the hypothetical scenarios. Let's get your biggest key to a victory for each side. How does Georgia win this game? How does Auburn win this game? Yeah, you know, for Georgia more than anything else is that they're going to have to hit those shots that they were willing to take in the first game. Uh, I think it would be very challenging for them to be methodical offensively and to just repeatedly and consistently move the football uh, versus this defense. Uh, for Georgia defensively, they need to tackle better. Um, you know, to me, if, if Auburn is going to have success, they're going to do exactly what they did uh, in the first matchup. They hit a ball downfield where you've got defenders in position and uh, a receiver makes a play, and you've got a guy at, at running back that's able to break tackles and get yards beyond the line of scrimmage when you've got defenders in place. Um, you know, that to me will be the key uh, for both sides is can Auburn continue to generate those big plays even if they weren't necessarily there, um, and for Georgia to be able to take advantage of the few opportunities when they do break loose versus one of the best defenses in the country, uh, will they be able to capitalize on them? Final question. You know it's coming, and I think I almost got it out of you earlier, but you held back. What's your final score in this one? I don't know what the score will be, but I think Georgia will win by three. Wow. I think that's... I think that's kind of a lot more people are trending in that direction this weekend. Is is this something where, you know, you, you just have to erase the 23-point deficit? I mean, there are people who are going to obsess about that throughout the week. Is it, you know, the, just the neutral site factor? That that kind of takes away all the previous factors that went into that last game. Is is that a fair thing to say? No, I think that it's, it's always fair to factor in a hostile environment. And road environments in the SEC are challenging. Almost all of them are, but Jordan-Hare is one of the most difficult. It's a great venue, and it's a very difficult place to play because that fan base is passionate, they're energetic, and they get it. They know when to be loud, and they know how they can impact the game. And I think as that ball kind of uh, the game kind of snowballed on Georgia, who played uh, poorly in some spots, part of that's just a function of how good Auburn is, and part of it is just poor execution on Georgia's side. Um, that game got away from them, and they're not necessarily built for comebacks. And as soon as Auburn was able to score uh, again in the third quarter, you could see that game was getting away from Georgia. I don't think it's going to happen quite that way this go-around, and I think most fans that are paying attention to this game would prefer to see as competitive as it potentially can be in a neutral site. Absolutely. Cannot argue that. Matt joined us on behalf of the All-State All Hands In program. Make sure you follow that hashtag All Hands In for more ways to get involved. Matt, we really appreciate your time as always. Enjoy a fantastic championship Saturday. Awesome. Thanks. You do the same. All right. That was Matt Stinchcomb joining us on the Saturday Down South podcast. We appreciate you guys tuning in. If you don't already, make sure you subscribe to the Saturday Down South podcast and make sure you're following all things SEC football at SaturdayDownSouth.com. My name is Conor O'Gara. Enjoy championship weekend, SEC fans.